We got plenty of time, as many takes as we need. That's the attitude to have, exactly. Just loosey goosey, you know? No, I'm ready to roll. And the home of the talk deck hockey street hockey ball hockey it's hockey in sneakers and i don't have anything clever to say about 96 so i'm just gonna move right past it (laughs) all right how are you james (laughs) a little beaten battered and bruised but hanging in there how about yourself sir yeah i could say the same much the same about myself definitely beaten and definitely battered i mean i'm as a goalie, I seem to be in a perpetual bruised state, so that's nothing new. But uh, yeah, I am a bit worse for wear than I was when last we spoke. However, you know, I, I did get to play some hockey in the interim, so there's that. You know, that that's always good, as we said when we spoke to Kevin Frost last week on the podcast. You know, it's... it's uh, even in defeat, it's hard to have a bad day playing hockey. So I got that going for me. More importantly, though, if you wouldn't mind talking about what you did the day after you played hockey. Ah, yes. Well, this past Sunday, my wife and I, uh, in preparation for an ice skating party, not ours, took our daughter, our seven-year-old daughter, ice skating for the first time. And we went to the rink where you and I go most often, James, the uh, World Ice Arena in Flushing Meadow Park. And she had a blast. She she really... she. <laughs> It's funny. After we finished skating, we, we came off the ice shortly before they closed the public session. And there were some hockey games coming in, including some kids who I guess had a game. And my daughter says to me, uh, hey, uh, I want to play hockey. I want to play on a team. And I oh. said, sweetheart, I don't even play on a team because I don't think I can skate well enough to play on a team. She's like, I can skate well enough. I said, sweetheart, you can't skate without falling down. Uh-huh. Like, I, uh, I love her. I love her enthusiasm. I love, Amen. you know, she she wants to go out there and she wants to do it. But yeah, you know, for her first time out on the ice, she actually did really, really well. And it was it was a very proud day. You know, it was one of the best days I've had in a long time. And I was very glad that I could teach my daughter in part what little wisdom I have. And by the end, I mean, she wasn't going out and skating laps, but she was able to kind of shuffle along on her own for a little while without falling down. Excellent. And, you know, for her first day, that's that's pretty good. Absolutely. And she, not on her own, but we were able to, like, she held my hand and we were able to glide for long stretches as long as we weren't going too fast. So that, you know, she really did very well. I'm very proud of her. Absolutely. And, and thank you so much. I think your wife sent this footage of uh, you and your daughter on the ice and and her laughter and the smile on her face and it was just i hope that's a memory you guys will have for the rest of your lives and long blessed successful lives that they will be 
but uh, just really so precious and so much fun to be able to see that. So thank you for sharing that special, special moment with us. And that's great. You never know uh, if she's the chip off the old block for dear old dad. We might have another little American rhino coming up. Well, I hope she's better than dad, you know, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we'll see. I mean, she's only seven. She's got a long, you know, God willing, long, long life ahead of her and plenty of time to figure out what she wants to do with it. So I will try and encourage her. However, her interests may lie, but I'm not going to, you know, try and force anything on her. So we'll see what happens. Best of luck either way. Thank you very much. How was your week? Pretty good, but really want to jump into the podcast, actually, because we have a few guests on hold and uh, want to sum up our week, actually, of the Rose Charities Tournament. You're not wrong, and we do have a lot <laughs> to talk about. So I guess we should start that by introducing ourselves, as is our custom. So uh, let's say we jump into the starting lineup. All right. I take your silence as consent. So let's, uh, let's just do that, then. And for tonight's starting lineup in goal as ever, I am number 35, your American Rhino, Gary McComiskey, and of course, my steadfast co-host. On defense, number four, I'm James Sajazi, and back with us tonight. At left wing, number 42, John Lenhart. And at right wing, number 24, Chris Artoon. All right, welcome, gentlemen. Happy to have you back on the podcast, in your case, John, and uh, welcome to the podcast, Chris. Thank you. Sure. And we will be right back with you, I promise, momentarily, very soon. Just one quick thing to get out of the way first. James, you know the drill. Would you mind terribly telling us what's on deck for this podcast? Not mind at all, sir. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Rose Charities Roundtable. The American Rhino, John, Chris, Rob, and I survived the 2018 Rose Charities Tournament, and we're here to tell you all about it. Everyone but Rob, that is, as he was unable to join us for this recording. But Rob wrote a note that we'll share on his behalf. And that's what's on deck. Thank you, James. You're welcome, sir. All right. Well, so we have kept these fine gentlemen waiting. And gentlemen, I apologize. Please continue. Yeah, so the point of this podcast, as we said before, is the Rose Charities Roundtable. As we all survived it, that's a good sign, especially from last year. Gary and I went through hell, but we've already crossed that bridge. So again, yeah, thanks for joining us tonight, guys. And on behalf of Rob, our other teammate, uh, before we get into it, uh, just Rob wanted everyone to know that, and this is a quote, would certainly like to compliment the organizers on a well-run tournament and a fun day, was very pleased to see all games being friendly and competitive, and will challenge myself to be more productive next year on a larger surface. So, yeah, we miss Rob tonight, but we appreciated him coming out on our team at the charity event. And, you know, obviously he was a little bit busy tonight, so he couldn't join us on the podcast, but he was needed on the rink Saturday. So to kick things off, guys, you know, Chris, thanks for coming on for the first time on the podcast, and thanks for listening, too. We appreciate that. But starting off with you, Chris, what were your expectations of the Rose Charities Tournament? Sure. Before I begin, again, I just want to thank you guys very much for inviting me. I'm a big listener and a big fan. So I'm very happy to be here and, you know, offer up some of my thoughts. But in terms of expectations for the tournament, I think Rob really put it best. I was expecting. And I think, of course, the Rose Charities delivered great, competitive, passionate games. I think everyone there was great company, very passionate about the game and very passionate about the cause that we were supporting. And it was a pleasure to be a part of an initiative which helped out, you know, residents in Cambodia. So I just thought it was a very noble cause. 
a great way to get exercise mm-hmm. and, of course, a way to celebrate the game that we all love. Cool, man. So how about you, John? Expectation-wise, you know, going in, you know, I, I really didn't know what to expect. I mean, I've been, you know, been playing, you know, in tournaments for years. So, you know, as far as the cause and being a charity event, you know, I'm always a big supporter of that, no matter what sport it is. But getting out there, I expected the games to be competitive, and, and they were. You know, the biggest challenge that you see is, you know, you can have a 13 or 14-man roster with hockey, right? So us going with only a group of us five, you know, that we play with on a normal weekly basis, you know, you just don't know how you're going to fill out that roster and how long it may take to gel. And and that's a big challenge, knowing that you're only uh, guaranteed three games. And if you don't gel right away, it could be a long day, you know? Right, good point, yeah. Well, fortunately, uh, and not to jump too far ahead, but fortunately we did manage to gel, I guess, fairly quickly because we were somewhat successful in our first game, as I recall. <laughs> yeah, game one was great. And uh, on behalf of John, Rob, Chris, and myself, congratulations to the American Rhino for pitching a shutout and giving us a 3 nothing victory. Congratulations to the whole team because it was a team effort. I didn't see that many quality shots, so I was able to just kind of hold the fort in that game. And, uh, you know, I appreciate the team defense and I appreciate the scoring. So, I, you know, I can't, <laughs> even if I stop every shot, if nobody scores, then, you know, we still can't win. So I, I really appreciate the effort of everybody on that team. And John had some great setups in that game I know you didn't manage to score in that first game John but you did manage to you know start some plays make some plays there which led to scoring so that uh, you, you know typically kept you yeah John didn't you have an assist or two at least because uh, I had, you were involved I had, and, yeah. assisted, I had an assist in that game and uh rang the crossbar in an empty net <laughs> towards the end so uh <laughs> you know frustrating but uh you know it's all part of the game yeah so I'm glad that we have uh, good representation because obviously I was on defense and we played on the rink for the first game, which was great. And that's the ideal situation. And we'll get into this a little bit later in the conversation. But so, yeah, so Gary and I were on one side of the rink. So Chris and obviously Rob as well. And you, John, were on the other side. So, John, you were at center, correct? When uh, Yes. And Chris and Rob, I believe, were wings, correct? Yep. If you guys wouldn't mind just walking us through how those goals were scored, because it was kind of hard to see that we were about, what, Gary and I, uh, well, you figure that rink was something like 100 or so feet away from the action. Right, absolutely. I, I don't believe I was on the rink itself for any of the goals, unfortunately. But from the vantage point that I had from the bench for all the goals, they looked like, you know, I believe the first goal that one of our teammates, whose name was Crow, scored was just on a breakaway. From what I recall, I think the opposing team's defenseman flubbed the pass right on our blue line. And then uh, Crow was able to pick his pocket and just bear down on the goalie mano y mano. And, you know, he just had a very sweet shot right over his shoulder and, you know, put it top shelf. And uh, that was probably the most skillful goal that we scored. The other two are a little more hazy in my mind. But, you know, the only offense I really generated <laughs> for the whole tournament, unfortunately, I think was my first shift when... John fed me a pass. It was, uh, I think I was on the point. I, I can't remember which side of the rink I was on. But top of the dot. You were on yeah. the right, right, right side, top of the dot, and you, yeah. you, you let a shot rip. That's right, and he was just swallowed up by the goalie, but that was about all of the offense I could muster during the tournament. But regardless of all that, you know, our teammates were able to carry the load and bring us one victory, which is all that matters. Exactly, and, and before we continue, too, and John, I want to get your point of view as well on yep. those three goals. But uh, before we continue, Gary and I would just like to thank 
everybody that did come over and say hello, including Jackie Spiegel, the American Street Hockey Institute media director, and of course the two representatives from Rocky Sullivan's in Red Hook, Brooklyn, as Gary and I have talked about the Rocky Sullivan's crew, Greg and Sean, who we ended up playing against in Game 3, by the way. So uh, thanks for coming over to say hello, and thank you for the stickers that we promised you, and please don't forget to spread the word of Hit the Deck. But great seeing you guys out there, and it was a pleasure to meet you in person, Jackie, and cool to see you guys too, Greg and Sean, as uh, they were saying that Rocky Sullivan's wanted to do their tournament the same day as the Rose Charities, but because Rose Charities came up and there was a problem with the bus schedule of all things for them to lock down the streets by Rocky Sullivan's to do the annual George Karnienko deck hockey tournament. The bus services wasn't buying it, that they still wanted to go down the streets instead of being cooperative and just bypassing the area. And that's why they ended up playing at the uh, Rose Charities tournament instead. But stay tuned until about June or July, they were thinking of doing the Rockies tournament. Hopefully it's not too hot. We'll see. But uh, we'll keep you posted on that as we'll check in. And also for Jackie Spiegel, she has a lot of exciting things going on in June as well as another international deck hockey tournament is coming up. So we'll keep in touch with her and hopefully we can get a couple of players to interview for that. But getting back to the Rose Charities thing. Yeah, John, I mean, from all the practice that uh, you, Gary and I did together, and and I think that uh, you and Chris were able to do some practices together as well going into the tournament. Yes. They did pay off and and you were the go-to guy for the offense. And yeah, thanks for mentioning Crow, Chris, before, because he was, I think he was our leading scorer, if not one of our best weapons who we eventually lost for the third game because he injured his shoulder, unfortunately. But, uh, yeah, what were your points of view on the goals that were scored in game one, John? Yeah, the first one, like uh, Chris had said, was uh, Crow uh, picked the pocket, you know, on a uh, sloppy pass and just uh, went in on a breakaway and went, uh, you know, top shelf over the goalie's glove, you know, for the one nothing lead. The second and third goal, I was actually on. I was actually on the, uh, on the rink for both of those goals. And the second goal, uh, Crow scored on a... Uh, it was either you or JW on defense that got us on a breakout pass pretty quickly. And I think he put a move on pretty much in the neutral zone and then just blew by the defense, went in and beat the goalie again, short side, 2 nothing. And then on the third goal, another breakout pass was they found me, you know, coming over the middle. And I, uh, you know, put a move, you know, came down the off wing, held back, and then found Sam in the slot at about 10 feet. You know, now nah, maybe about five feet in. And got the goalie to go one way and then just went forehand, backhand, and tapped it in. And that uh, gave us a 3 nothing lead. And, you know, we just played, uh, you know, stellar defense the rest of the way and, you know, came up with a zero. Yeah, yeah and that was – oh, go ahead, Gary. No, I was going to say, speaking of defense, you shouldn't sell yourself short. You should take the credit where it's due. You were working really hard out there on D, laying out and making the right defensive moves, blocking the passing lane and forcing shooters to the bad angle and just, you know, playing some really – Solid defense, so that shutout is as much due to your defensive work out there as it uh, was to anything I did. Yeah, um, Gary, I'd like to uh, you know follow your lead on that, James. There was one uh, one of your shifts late in the game, maybe with about five minutes to go, and you know the game was pretty much wrapped up at that point, three nothing. But uh, you know they were trying to score, and anytime you could get a shutout for your goalie and your team, you try to get it done, you know, and, and do whatever you can to get it done. And you blocked the shot, got up, laid out blocked another shot, caught up, and then laid out again with, like, your stick to uh, block a uh, pass, you know, in the passing lane. And and that right there, you know, if, if people were there to see it, whether, you know, teammates, the opposing team, or just uh, fans that were watching the game, 
you know, when you see something like that, you know exactly what your job is as a hockey player, that you do whatever it takes, you know, to help your team win. So, tremendous Thank job, you. my man. I appreciate that, guys. But that's going to be it for the praise of my game because the rest of the day was horrible for me, but we'll get into that later. But, Gary, Mr. Deflection over here, tell us about one – I mean, you made some sensational saves there, too. And uh, forgive us for this love fest, listener. We will get into some more stuff later on. But Gary was terrific out there. He was a brick wall. Uh, we were going into that tournament. This was Gary's and my third time playing in the Rose Charities tournament, yep. and we had not gotten a win. So right now, I just want to thank John. I want to thank Chris and Rob and obviously Gary himself for earning that first win. And Gary, congratulations on the shutout as well. Please, if there's anything you could remember from that first game that you could walk us through, because you were just fantastic. You were getting screened and making saves. The pads themselves looked gorgeous and the glove was working. You just, everything was looking so good, and, and you really earned that goose egg because the team we played, well, we were Team 7, by the way, and I believe it was Team 8 was the first one that we played, and they were good. I mean, 3 nothing. that's a close game, you know, for a two-half game of hockey, and thank God the weather was nice, too, this time. But, Gary, yeah, if you wouldn't mind just kind of helping us out with a specific save you can remember or knowing how much time was left and really knuckling down and keeping that shutout. I'd love to, but I really, uh, there's not a lot about that game that stands out to me. I mean, I'm not blowing smoke. I really mean it. I didn't have to face a lot of hard shots. I do remember there was one sequence where I made a save on the left side and it popped out and I had to hustle across and, and was able to stop it on the right side. But, you know, it's not like, really, that. I'd, I'd love to tell you about some great, you know, circus catch that I made or, or something, but I'm not being humble. I really can't think of anything, you know, it's just it, it, it's just one long, solid stretch of stopping the shots that I should stop because they were, you know, low percentage shots or, or they were coming right at me. So I know this it doesn't make for exciting radio, but I, I really, I can't think of anything. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your humility is showing, definitely. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's not taken away from our defensive partners at all because Team 7 defense was really, really good, and uh, that obviously shows, but you are the true last defense, and you showed up huge. There were a couple of really—there were more than a couple of good shots. Unfortunately, there's no statistics to go over, and there's no footage of this, unfortunately, either. But from what I saw from the bench, there were a couple of breakaways, or yeah, fine, the defense does its job by trying to funnel players to the outside or some bad angles and things, but there were very clean shots— there were shots when you were screened, and I do specifically remember a couple of times when the pad came out of nowhere and kept that puck out of there. There, there were some rebounds. There was a shot that slipped behind you, and you were able to turn around and make sure the puck did not go in. So, uh, and, and again, the blocker was working. The glove was working. The pads were looking great. I'm sure there was a poke check or two that I remember that uh, came in handy, and, and you did a great job with that as well. And more importantly, if there was ever – I don't remember any rebounds coming out either. And if there were, there weren't any dangerous rebounds at all because, if, if anything, as uh, John was saying before, not having a lot of time to gel, but at least the defense was able to know where to stand and clear it out and, and uh, you know, put the fire out. Yeah, I, was, I, I actually I, – I was saving all my juicy rebounds for games two and three, but uh, we'll get there. <laughs> Um, no, actually, uh, yeah, I, I do remember now that you mention it, there was, I think it was fairly early on, there was one breakaway that I was able to stop. But again, I think the guy shot it right into me. So, you know, I, I did my job. I was a little aggressive and, and it paid off. So, but speaking of defense, there was one other person. Well, there, 
we had several very talented women who played back on defense on our team. But one in particular I want to shout out is Becky, who uh, she was a new mom. Like between games, she would sit on the bench nursing her child. And then she'd jump right back in and, and play some stellar defense. So, you know, I, I don't know Becky's last name or I would mention it, but, you know, really shout out to her because she's, she's a hockey player. Oh, that's all. Yeah, that, that describes a hockey player. Yeah, that, that's all you need to know right there. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, before we, we end the glory of game one, again, thanks to John, Chris, Rob, and the rest of our Team 7 teammates for helping Gary to preserve that well-earned shutout. But speaking of expectations, and, you know, Chris and I, I think you and I have similar personalities, Chris, where we kind of wear our hearts on our sleeves. And speaking of expectations, when you go to a charity hockey, deck hockey event, you kind of expect to play the majority of games where they should be played on the rink. Now, originally, in the previous Rose Charities tournaments that Gary and I participated in, there was uh, eight teams and then they divvied up how many people signed up to those eight teams this year. And I hope that Hit the Deck had something to do with this. There was a record number of players, and therefore there were two extra teams added to the event, making it 10. And with that, you have the rink, and then you have the adjacent basketball courts where you have to play the rest of the games. Now, you were still guaranteed three games, but it was harder to make it to the final this year because of the extra teams. But to break it down, they go by uh, goals against or, or goals scored, obviously win-loss record and so on and so forth. And then the final was played on the rink. But we were originally scheduled to play two games on the rink. And then, That's right. Yeah, then at the last minute that was changed. So, Chris, I, I kind of agree with you on this. And uh, if I'm putting you on the spot, you know, don't worry about it. I'll take over from there. But were you disappointed after having the mindset and especially playing the first game on the rink and thinking that, well, we were basically promised at least another game on the rink and then being forced on the bigger, unfriendly surface of the basketball courts? Were you right. disappointed to see that? Admittedly, I was. I, I was, James. And I'll tell you why. You know, I believe I was telling you and Gary this on our way home. And I, I think it was a pretty apt way of describing it. For those listeners who might not be aware, we of the LIQ have our own, not facility, it's not our own facility, but um, it's this converted uh, handball court, which we use as our surface to play weekly hockey when, when we all get together. And, um, you know, it's it's not very, it's, it's obviously not smoothly paved. It does have its bumps and its cracks and what have you. And you know, it is a little narrow and not very wide for, for a hockey rink, but we make do and we've gotten used to it and, and we enjoy it there. And I think for me, I regard that surface as, as our dump, if you will. And it's very similar to how Islanders fans regarded the Nassau Coliseum as, as you know, our dump. Clearly, it wasn't the best place to play hockey, but it, but it was our it was our facility and it had character and we were used to it and so on and so forth. And I just couldn't help but feel as though if members of the Rose Charities tournament wanted to play on a facility that was not a rink, they could have gone and done it on their own and enjoyed the company of their own friends or, or, or done whatever. So my, my disappointment stemmed from this anticipation of playing on a facility which was designed for this game. But that turned out to not be the case. And I can't help but feel as though it was for the right reason. I'm glad that the Rose Charities flourished this year. If I remember correctly, 
they raised over $9,000 in total proceeds to be donated to this very noble cause that we're supporting. And that's all well and good. But I think, James, you put it best. There was a little bit of frustration on my end, and I can only speak for myself when I say this, but I would have liked to have had at least a majority, if not all of my games, played on a facility that I believe we were led to think would house all the games. So I would encourage the next iteration of the tournament to perhaps find ways to ensure that everyone gets adequate time on the rink because that's the most enjoyable surface and it's where the game is played true to form. Well said, yeah, and and I agree with you 100%, especially being a defenseman. When you're taking boards away from a defenseman, that is a really major part of a defenseman's job and especially a lot of times when things may get chippy a little or something like that, there's always teammates out there that always remind us, hey, it's for charity, it's for charity. And uh, so you're, you're tying the defenseman's hand. I'm making excuses here. I, I realize that, and we'll get into that farther. But just to reiterate, I agree, or at least I feel I was very, very disappointed that especially when it seemed that we were promised two games out of the three guaranteed we were going to play to be on the rink where we were supposed to be, and then all of a sudden we had the two games played on the basketball court. I was extremely disappointed on that. But, uh, John, did you feel the same way too? Did, were you kind of looking forward to playing on the rink and then being forced on the uh, that horrible court? Yeah, I, you know, I was. Yeah, I, I really didn't think much of it, you know, as it was happening, or as the decision was made. I mean, you know, I'm just, you know, you got to prepare the same way, you know, j- just to be ready to play. It does, it does change the game, though, obviously. And I think it showed at certain parts through, you know, our second and third game of not being on the rink where plays may have went a different way. You know, when you do have the boards, you know, some of the players that may not be as experienced, you start to lose your sense of positioning, right. you know, and, and where you should be on the rink. You know, the basketball court was a little bit more wide open. And, you know, a lot of times it disrupted the flow of a game mm-hmm. because the ball stays in play, right? Goes into a corner for a 50-50 or comes out. There were, I think, you know, one or two times where I had to chase the ball down the stairs and, you know, after like a minute, you know, a minute long shift, you know, you got to run and get the ball. So, I mean, yeah, it, it does change the game a little bit. I don't think my frustration was as strong as yours and Chris's. But uh, but again, you know, at the end of the day, you know, a game should be played on the rink. I do understand 10 teams and, you know, you have limited space, you know, to get the tournament done in the course of a day. But uh, my feeling is, you know, it is what it is, you know, and uh, you know, we got out there and played just wasn't uh, all three games on the rink. Yeah, and, and, and before we get into game two and uh, some of John's highlights, were you, Chris and, and John, were you guys expecting the, I guess, layover or wait time between games as well? Was that something that you were mentally prepared for? Because we didn't even start our first game until about 1045, which was fine, because personally for people that had to drive in, it's really, it's very difficult to park around that area. But I think the greatest highlight of all was that, John, you found a parking space. And please tell us, how did you find a parking space in well, downtown Manhattan? Yeah. Well, if you, if you know my backstory, uh, <laughs> I usually get lucky no matter where I go. I mean, I could find a spot in midtown Manhattan at like uh, 12 noon. <laughs> <laughs> but um, we got there uh, at about 9 o'clock, you know, and I said to Chris and Rob, you know, as I'm driving, I said, we'll circle around a little bit. And, you know, if uh, we don't find a spot, we'll just throw it in the garage. So, uh, you know, we circled around a little bit and, uh, you know, saw a couple of spaces, but, you know, just couldn't fit the car in them. 
and then I was going to do one more uh, go around. And Rob's like, oh, I think that's a spot. So I go down the street, you know, it's a one way. And then as soon as I start to go, Rob's like, oh, no, it's not a spot. So I circle around and I said, all right, we're going to throw it in the garage, right? And as I'm looking to the left, not even 100 feet from where, you know, we're going to play, there's a spot that opens up and pull right in. And I'm like, you know, it doesn't get better than that. So yeah, that's, that, that, uh, that's how we found the spot. That's the highlight of the day. So well done. <laughs> And well, it's biggest, easier at the end of the day when you, you know, when your legs are hurting and uh, you don't have to go far to walk. You get in your car and head on home. Absolutely, and big assist to Rob on that too. So well done, oh, yeah. guys. Good, good stuff. Yep. Good so teamwork. yeah, so uh, yeah, well done. So uh, so yeah, Gary too. Obviously, since we had the experience of playing in the past tournaments, but you know, anybody that wants to weigh in on this, please do. Were you? Or I guess specifically Chris and John, since it was your first Rose Charities tournament, were you expecting that much of uh, time between the games? I think so. For me personally, it was a double-edged sword. Because at the end of the first game, obviously, where we enjoyed a fair amount of success, it was an opportunity for us to reflect on what went well and what we could do to keep that momentum going. So it was it was a positive it was a positive layover as you alluded to but what I found later on between games 2 and 3 and then you know I I mean this isn't really a layover but after game 3 I found that that layover began to act in a more nefarious manner because it it served as a it served as an opportunity just to you know stew in your own thoughts and worry about oh I could how how may I have done this differently? What was I thinking when I made this boneheaded play? And, you know, if you're anything like James, myself, or Gary, we will tend to neuroticize over what went wrong and what we could have done differently during that lull time. But, you know, I thought particularly for the tournament as a whole, I thought that was a positive aspect because some of the people who needed a physical break, for those people, it was very beneficial. But I think, you know, if you're anything, like I mentioned earlier, like James or myself or Gary, you could start to do more harm than good because you would be thinking so much about what went wrong and what you could do differently later on that you just tended to get in your own head a bit. Yeah, well, I honestly, I don't remember what we had in terms of layoffs the first year James and I played. But I know last year, our second and third games were back to back. And that was brutal. Like I could barely, I was having trouble standing up after the second game and to have to immediately trudge over to the other arena, you know, the, the other, uh, it was from the basketball court to the rink in the case of last year, but, and, you know, like go right back out there with almost no breather and play another 45 minutes was just, it was rough, man. So I do not look a gift horse in the mouth. Uh, you know that I I think that was that was great for me. And honestly, I didn't even really feel the layoff, the the two game layoff that we had this year between games one and two. I don't know if that's because they were moving things along quicker this year with more teams, or just because I was you know tired and relishing that time off. But we sat on the bench, we scouted the teams that we were going to wind up playing a little bit, and it was. You know, I enjoyed it. It wasn't maybe it was a little bit of a long layoff. I guess I did feel maybe a little bit cold, but I don't think it affected me that much. And I honestly, I'd rather have the downtime to recover personally. How about you, John? Yeah, no, it didn't bother me. And, you know, going into a tournament, I know, you know, you always try to stay on schedule. That's, you know, the number one objective. But, uh, you know, you know, games run late or, you know, a couple of minutes, you know, you're giving teams warm ups and stuff. And before you know it, you're like a half hour behind schedule. So, you know, that's what 
you know, allows you to sit for an extended period of time. I'm a creature of habit. So, you know, to have, you know, an hour in between games, it helps me because, you know, I, I go through a regimen, you know, where I'll rest, I'll recover, and then I'll start getting ready for the second game and, you know, stretch and whatnot. And when you get to my age, <laughs> you know, you, you need that. You know, I'm not in my 20s. You can't just run out there and play all day. And, you know, I remember those days, but they're long gone. I think where it started to do me in was by that last one. And, you know, having a little bit more than an hour, I think we had, what, two hours in between games one and two? That's right. It started to affect me by the third game. And I guess we could get to that in a little while. But um, now going into game two, I felt good. Stretched and got out there and, uh, you know, was ready to go. So, yeah. Okay, cool. So, yeah, I, I, I agree with you guys, too. I think Chris said it best. It was a double-edged sword. But getting into game two, where we were relegated to that uh, basketball court, I'm going to kick things off here because I'm really embarrassed and, and, and that was unnecessary that you guys were overly generous with the, the kind word you said about my performance in, in the first game. But I gave it all back immediately in game two, and I'm publicly apologizing to my Team 7 teammates, including obviously specifically Gary, John, Chris, and Rob, because game two slipped out of control, and it was, I don't care what anybody says from this point on, it was solely my fault. Now, playing on the basketball court, yes, exactly. It's a bigger, wider surface. As John was saying, there are many areas for the puck to get away, and you have to run after it, so it's a lot more energy just to run back and forth, and then to go and grab the puck. And you only have about five seconds to get the puck back in play. And there's never an open player at that point. So it's basically, you know, pick your poison to who's going to pick off the puck if you're able to even pass it to where you're supposed to. And the surface itself, it's a basketball court. So there's multiple hoops there. So for I don't know how many, whether something like eight hoops or whatever the case is, to give you an idea of how big it is. So in some aspects, there's that rough concrete. And then there's the broken, I don't know, um, surface that the basketball courts themselves are made out of, as familiar with the basketball court where the paint is, so to speak, and big cracks and it's, it's slippery. I remember my first shift, I came out there, I get the puck and I slip and fall. And then I think I turned it over. So that was a nice way to start off game two. And then another thing that I really regret, and I think we were tied at the time, or maybe we even had the lead. Uh, it was really early in the game, something like two to one or, or two to two. And Gary makes a great save, gives me the puck to control and pass along to my teammates. And my worst nightmare happened. I totally whiffed on the pass. It went about three feet right into the opposing team's stick who was camped right in front of Gary. And I just handed him a goal. And it's the worst nightmare. It's what you practice to do that you hope will never happen. And it happened. And it was solely my fault. And then from that point on, it just started spiraling. I've watched enough sports and played enough sports to know that there are backbreaking and momentum changing events that happen. And that's what happened to us. So from that point on, it was just we were a different team. And as John was saying before, with the bigger surface, it was the line changes became sloppy. We lost our focus, and it was all because I brought you guys down with me. And please don't make a, excuses about it later on or anything like that. That's what happened. It's the truth. And it's been eating at me since. But uh, as, uh, as Chris was saying, too, between the games two and three, I just you – know, tried to apologize to as many teammates as I could and it was just really eating me alive and it was horrible but John at least you, you had what at least one goal in game two if I'm not mistaken yeah I, yeah, I uh, got us on the board uh, with the first one which seemed like about a minute in yeah it was um, really early yeah it was, it was early I think they got a couple of shots Gary made some saves and 
to remember the play. It went down into our end, and JW. I, I mean, it, it's the way you draw up a play. It, it was two. It was two passes, and, and and then the ball was in the net. JW would have stretched pass to Sam, and then Sam came down the right wing, and I went hard to the net, and you know, kind of found the open space, and Sam gave it to me on my uh, backhand. I went to my forehand. Goalie, uh, goalie was hugging the post, and and I really didn't have much of an angle, and I kind of just stuffed it in inside uh, inside the post backhand, and you know, rattled home, and you know. I was pumped up, you know, a minute in to go up one nothing on a good team, you know, felt nice, you know, and that's part of the game. You know what I mean? You score, they score, and you don't know how it's going to uh, turn out, but it was definitely off to a good start at, at that point. Right. Yeah. I will say that, you know, you mentioned the angles before, John, you know, in, inexperienced guys not being able to read it. I will say as a goalie, you know, that basketball court does kind of mess with you in terms of being able to read the angle that the shooters are shooting at because, you know, you're not used to the same, like, touchstones for where the net is, where, you know, how far out you are, where you are in relation to the net. And sure. so... You can, or at least, well, I'm only going to speak for myself, but I know I got caught a couple of times where I thought I had the angle played, you know, well, and someone winds up, you know, sniping over my shoulder into the, the corner. And it's like, where did, you know, how did that get through? I thought I had it completely covered, but I guess not. So, yeah, it's it, it could just be a case of that goalie not realizing exactly where he was in relation to the net, not to detract anything from your goal because you you know you saw the shot and you took it and you you scored and credit to you for that but uh that could explain why he was hugging the post and and you had that tiny opening sure yeah well yeah i want to ask you too you know when you play on you know any other surface you know especially a bigger surface than a rink it's got to be a little hard for a goaltender because you know you're seeing a sequence of plays that you may not normally see on a rink you know what i mean yeah like you know you have you know you have your face off circles you know in you know what's the zone where you're going to be facing, you know, your team's defensive zone, you know, and you're stretched a little wider, you know what I mean? So you don't, you know, necessarily know where guys are going to be. And the space behind the nets on the basketball court were tremendous. They had to go about about 15 to 20 feet back, which Mm -hmm. we obviously know those aren't regular dimensions, you know, when you play on a rink. Right. Right. So... Yeah, and Chris, uh, your points of view for game two, if you can remember specifically for that, with how you felt, how the surface was, if... Because I even noticed that other players were having trouble controlling the puck as Gary even gave us a quick warning before the game started that the ball really bounces horribly on that surface because of the cracks and whatever else. And personally for me, I just couldn't feel the puck on my stick. It just didn't feel right. And one of the reasons why uh, I just totally lost the trust of my teammates and I just didn't get the puck at all for the rest of the game and deservedly so. But did you feel, Chris, that uh, it was a little bit different and the puck wasn't going where you wanted it to go or handling the way you wanted it? Plus the fact, just before you answer, there were the basketball hoops to deal with and the poles where they were in play. So the other team, I guess, if they were familiar with Mafo that have played there before, they knew how to get around those poles. And I, I, they used them against me in a few aspects. But I don't know if uh, John and you were victimized by that. But uh, yeah, did Chris, did you feel that it was hard to control the puck and at least keep it on your stick and go where you wanted it to go. Yeah, James, it's funny. You took the words right out of my mouth because I was going to cite the, uh, I, I guess you could call it the, from a traditional basketball hoop, they were almost like stanchions or, or columns, if you will, that were mounted into the concrete that were supporting the actual hoop and the backboard structure. I mean, oh my Lord, uh, like the few times that the puck willingly went there were a disaster for me because just trying to stick handle out of there was like ringing chimes because my stick would just be clanking against those pole-like structures and 
I'd be I'd be getting tangled in my own mess, and you know I I did the I did the opposing player a service because while I was trying to sort myself out, they had stripped me of the puck and were breaking down the other direction. So, I, you know I I think saying that it was a disaster is an understatement, and perhaps that's more of an indictment on me because. I'm not the best puck carrier. If anything, I'm more of a standing player who likes to receive the puck and let her rip and hope to God that it goes in. But, you know, I I think for someone who is an adept puck handler, someone like a Matt Barzell for the New York Islanders who can just fly up and down and have great control, I, even they would have difficulty on that basketball surface. So again, similarly to you, I don't want to make excuses. I, I clearly was not up to snuff, but I think the the basketball surface did pose their own challenges. But just to make a quick side point, and we discussed this amongst ourselves during the um, downtimes between matches, but I felt that our practices at Castlewood and our weekend sessions at Castlewood did give us some sense of an advantage with respect to playing on the basketball court only because that the Castlewood surface is not very good on its own right. And playing on this basketball surface was, I guess you could say, somewhat similar to that, Where whereas obviously playing on the rink is ideal. But I would say that the basketball surface was worse than Castlewood. But at the end of the day, it is what it is. But it was certainly, it was a worthy challenge, no doubt about it. Yeah, very good point there, too, as I was trying to say before, was where the basketball courts themselves, the between the hoops, it's kind of like an asphalt surface, so it's a bit slippery, more slippery. Gary even gave us a quick heads up for the defensemen and for our offensive players that a lot of times people who were used to playing on that basketball court would shoot from those areas because it was a smoother, truer uh, shot that you could take as opposed to the concrete. So yeah, you're going like, I don't know how, how wide the basketball court parts with the asphalt were, which had huge cracks in them too. But going from the smooth surface then to the rough surface and all that stuff and dealing with the cracks and the stupid poles on the side was really horrible and a nightmare. But you're right. It, we're not trying to make excuses here. It's not trying to be sour grapes. We're just saying that there was a lot more going against us than there was going for us. And I do think that the true Team 7 showed up in Game 1, and then, thanks to me, Game 2 and 3 was uh, another team that, uh, that that was playing, pretending to be Team 7, especially when we'll get into this for Game 3. We lost one of our leading scorers in Crow because his shoulder was hurt. I believe he hurt it in Game 1, as a matter of fact, and he got yeah, it out Yeah, he did, he did, and he, yeah. he, battled, he battled through the rest of that and Game 2, and I guess by Game 3, he was just, uh, you know, just, just couldn't get, you know, just couldn't deal with it. He may yeah. have heard it just carrying around that giant boombox that he, he had. Uh... <laughs> yeah, hey, hey, you yeah. know what we need to, uh, yeah. You know, outside of uh, playing hockey, uh, one of the highlights was uh, when he blasted, I am a real American, and uh, Gary was striking up the Hulk Hogan poses uh, as I'm shooting on him in pregame before game two. <laughs> so if yeah. you were lucky enough to stop by and see that, you were treated to, uh, you know, quite a scene. <laughs> what you gonna do, brother? <laughs> Um, well, yeah, well, <laughs> James, I know you you're dead set on blaming yourself for all of our woes in those two games, but I will point out two things. One, there was only one player on our team that was on the surface for every goal, and that was yours truly. And second, we actually in both games, two and three, we played very competitive first halves. We went into the half in both games down only one goal. So th those were both, you know, 
in spite of what you may think about killing the momentum, you know, we, we were in those games for quite a while. I think we just kind of lost our legs as a team in those second halves. So Correct. you really, I know, I know it's your nature, but you really shouldn't take all that on yourself. All right, well, that's up to debate, but uh, thanks. But anyway, it'll make me think, I don't know if I'm going to play in another Rose Charities tournament, but we'll uh, worry about that later. But uh, yeah, and, and the other thing too is that, thank God the weather was so much nicer this year than it was last year, because how Gary and I and everybody else who participated in last year's tournament, including Brett, who made it all the way to the finals, LIQ's own Brett, the sun is if it's out, it's beating down on you, and there's really not much shade, if any at all, around the courts over there and the rink. So uh, when the sun is out, it's out. Unless you bring an umbrella or something like that or find shade somewhere, good luck to you. And the other thing, too, that's going to weigh down on you. So Chris was saying with a double-edged sword, waiting for the next games to start, or like Gary mentioned, too, you play back-to-back. I don't know. We pick your poison type thing, but the uh, at least it was much cooler this year. There was a breeze, so that was excellent as opposed to last year's 85 degrees and, and heat and how we all didn't pass out was beyond me. But anyway, yeah, I think that kind of catches up with you too. So between the bigger surface and having to go after pucks that go out of play and stuff like that, and the, the rough surface too, where it's not, because other players were having trouble dealing with the puck and, and passing and, and doing accurate things with it. But, you know, the, the other team had the same conditions as well. So you got to put that in perspective. But uh, is it, Good to put game two to bed and go on to game three or anybody else have anything else to say about game two? Yeah, I just like to point out that the team that beat us in game two did go to the finals. So they were clearly a talented team. So we, we did get beat by a good team. We didn't, you know, lose to scrubs. Here, here. Yeah, John, uh, you, you found out that that was the case, that uh, they went to the finals? Yeah, I saw an email earlier today uh, from Rachel. I don't know if you guys had, uh, received the email as well, but yeah. Uh, they didn't say what the final score was in that final game, but um, it didn't surprise me. That team that we uh, played in game two, you know, like Gary had said, you know, we hung with them for a half. And then I, I think in that second half, you know, they just wore us down. And, you know, sometimes you tip your hat. You know what I mean? If you don't play well, it's frustrating. You know, but at times when you play well and you, if you, you know, other team beats you and, you know, top to bottom, they, they may just be a better team than you. It is frustrating, but, you know, it's all part of the game, right? Yep. So, yeah, so on to game three. I mean, I don't have much to say about game three. As the guys were saying, too, there was a long wait between two and three. Not as long, but I, I just remember trying hard and, and Gary not quitting either. I believe it was game three where, again, it was a similar situation, as Gary was saying before. We were hanging tough in the first half, and then in the second half, things kind of got away from us. But I remember a specific save that the American Rhino made, and I think it was game three, because it was minutes left to, we were down by, I don't know, four goals or whatever the case was, but uh, the American Rhino makes the initial save, and then there was, I believe it was a rebound, but basically he was down, and the shooter went top shelf, and Rhino got that pad up and blocked that puck from going in. It was remarkable, and really quite commendable, too, because that just speaks for the our teammates that we didn't give up. You know, we, we tried our best. We were hustling. We were doing what we could do. We weren't complaining and uh, doing our best. And you, you, that's what a hockey player is. You, you play from beginning to end, no matter what. If you're up by a bunch of goals, if you're down by a bunch of goals, if you're tied, you play until the game is over. So uh, kudos to you, American Rhino, on that. Yeah, well, you know, I, I don't like to give up. Sometimes my body gives up on me. But, uh, I, I, you know, if I, if I have it in me, I, I don't like to give up. Because, you know, at that point, you're playing for pride. Yeah, and so, there was a beautiful goal that I remember specifically that you scored, John. If you wouldn't mind, 
when your wife and son showed up to root for us and specifically for you, you really put on a nice little show there for them. Uh, if you remember that goal you scored in game three and uh, walk us through us, please. Yeah, at the time, we were down 2 nothing, and I think it was like maybe with about eight minutes left in the first half, and we kind of just took over as a team those last eight minutes, and you know, I started to forecheck, and Puck went out to about the center of the court, and I was forechecking the defenseman, and you know, he kind of panicked. I uh, stick check, lifted his stick, uh, you know, picked his pocket, took the ball, stick handled into about, you know, 15 feet of the goalie and let one rip and, you know, beat the goalie glove side. And, you know, little treat for my son, I guess. <laughs> you know, so that's always nice. But it's nice for the moment and nice for him. But again, it's a team game. And, you know, to come up short, you know, individual stats really don't matter when, uh, you know, when the final score is what, you know, really matters, you know, with your teammates. So the thing that I want to say about the that team that we played in the game three was they were really good at cycling. Like, they, yeah. they, that's how they scored most of their goals in that game. They, you know, somebody would come down on defense and get in front of somebody or slow them up and stop. One of their teammates would, would come down, you know, on the wing or whatever, pass them and be right back in position for a two-on-one or a three-on-one. No matter how they, they got, you know, stopped or held up or or uh, whatever play they were trying to execute got broken, they were able to come back and, you know, imme- almost immediately continue in a different configuration. And, and, and that, just speaking as a goalie, that made my life difficult. <laughs> a, a yeah, you, 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 don't, you, don't have to, you don't have a chance to breathe. You, you know what I mean? You, you, know, you, you got to be, you know, really don't have time to rest. But I think that also plays into where, you know, maybe a couple of those guys have been playing together for a while as well, you know, and when you have yeah. a charity tournament like this, where you're not entering your own team, with let's say, you know, however many man roster, you know, 12 to 15 players, where you have that comfort level where, you know, when I play with you, know, you guys as teammates on a weekly basis, some of you guys, I don't even have to look, I know where you guys are going to be. You know, the beauty of that, when you get on, you know, when you get on the court and you're playing with five guys like that at all times, and you know where guys are just going to be, and it's second nature. You know, it's fun, you know, so I think that was some of the challenge where we didn't know what we were getting, you know, to fill out the rest of our roster and, you know, little things that when you play as teammates for quite a long time, whereas you know, you're jumping on the ice and, you know, you're going one way and, you know, you got something in mind and you play, you know, your teammate doesn't break the right way, you know, and, and now your pass, you know, doesn't get executed or, you know, vice versa, you're looking for the pass and they go a different way. So, you know, I, I think, you know, it's, it's hockey, right? And, and, you know, we all got out there and, you know, we all love to play the game. You know, but to me, on a personal note, I, you know, I, I uh, you know, that was a concern of mine. And, you know, and I think at times it showed. But, you know, but again, you know, it was nice to get out there and uh, and to play. And uh, I would do it all over again. So. Actually, John, I want to follow up on that. And I, I'm sorry, I feel like Chris has been left out of the conversation a little bit. But I, I wanted to uh, ask you, actually, John, I know that a couple of weeks ago when we were playing, you and Rob specifically, you had great chemistry. And uh, since you did have the opportunity to be teammates in this tournament, but I noticed you were on different lines. Uh, how did that kind of settle out? <laughs> well, you know, we, uh, to, to open in game one, we, uh, we had said that it was going to be Chris, Chris at wing, Robert the other wing, and, and I would center the line. And one of our teammates, I believe her name was Mia, she's like, oh, I want to get on the first line. And it just kind of, uh, I think Rob just kind of took a back seat, you know, took the high road. <laughs> And she ended up being on our line, you know, pretty much all day, you know, and that that's kind of how that played out. I think what also, you know, kind of did us in a little bit, too. 
And again, you know, I, I think some of it, you know, lends its hand to, you know, not being familiar and, you know, meeting people for the first time and then jumping on the uh, court, you know, as soon as you meet them or, you know, just the uh, understanding how much time like, you know, a, a solid shift is and coming off and not being on the court, you know, for two minutes, you know, two and a half minutes at a time. It may not catch catch up with your game one, but it definitely starts to catch up with your game two and game three. You know, quicker shifts in hockey are more productive. I did notice, James, you were caught on the far side a couple of times trying to get a shift when you couldn't. Was that something you found challenging or uh, what, what What happened there? Yeah, I, I credit that to just really losing the trust of my teammates and deservedly so. But uh, other than that, I, I thought that we did a good job, at least speaking for the defensemen, of, of getting ample time on, and as John was saying, too, for getting enough shifts and things like that. So uh, there was a couple of times when I, I could have used a, 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 an extra breather, but I can't remember her name. We, we had a, another really good defenseman. Uh, Tia. Female. Tia. Tia, thank yes. you. And at one point she had to go uh, take a break, you know, and so therefore we had to compensate for that. So there were a couple of extra shifts that we had to accommodate for, and I think that's what kind of messed things up a little bit for the rest of game three. But other than that, I felt everybody was, was generous enough with line changes and things of that nature. Uh, Chris, did you feel that you had enough time on the court during the game? Absolutely. I really enjoyed the fluidity of having a varied number of teammates. And I think John was, you know, obviously you guys have spoken at length about John and what he brings to a line. But what I appreciated was, and I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but on the basketball court, since the dimensions were obviously much larger than that of a traditional rink, playing with someone like John, who is a very ball possession oriented player, gave someone like me, who's more of a point and shoot kind of player, the opportunity to find some soft space in the slot or set up on the point and, and just look for a shot and get it on net. So playing with John worked well for me because I think he and I have different playing styles. So I felt comfortable knowing that he would bring it into the ozone and it'd be my responsibility to avail myself to him and give him an outlet to relieve pressure or execute a play. And and I found that the amount of playing time that I received was fair. And I think I, I speak for everyone when I say that the playing time was divvied up very fairly. I think everyone saw a reasonable amount of deck time. Well said, sir. And and yeah, thanks for bringing that up, Chris. Before we end this conversation, John, you know, thank you so much for taking the lead because there's always one player, as again, as everybody said, we're not a real team. We just met for the first time, a lot of the players there. But we need someone to step up and be a leader and lead by example as well. So, John, you did a great job with that, setting up the lines. And Rob, for being a gentleman, that, that's God bless him for that as well. So great job with that. So thank you, John. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. You make it uh, easier for me. And, you know, you guys are good teammates. And it's always an honor to get out there and play alongside you guys. You win or lose. You know what I mean? Battle to the end. Amen to that. Yeah. All right. Well, any final thoughts besides that before we finish up here? Yeah. When's the next tournament? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's funny you mentioned that, actually. It's funny you mentioned that because... I think, I believe it was on the same email that detailed what the total proceeds were of the afternoon. I believe on that same email towards the bottom indicated to be on the lookout for details to come about a, a tournament in Ocean City, Maryland. I believe it was dubbed 
hockey and the beach or something to that effect. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, there you go for, for all the listeners out there. That could be a little teaser in terms of what to expect with oh. a future deck hockey tournaments in the Northeast region. Hopefully the games are on a rink and not in the ocean. Yeah, yeah yes. right. And if you listened to last week's episode of Hit the Deck, you also Thank heard you, us Gary. talking about the tournament in uh, North Carolina in July. The, uh, what is it, Summer Shootout, I believe it was called? Yep, Mr. Kevin Frost already beat us to the punch. So we have uh, an invite, officially. We've been called from, out. Yeah, in North Carolina. And yeah. that is assured. Kevin did a fantastic job organizing that. And it is in a rink, and Sport it's air-conditioned, too. Yeah. That works for me, boys. Just let yeah. me know when and where, and I'll be going. All right, well, we'll work out the logistics on, on what we're doing next. But uh, besides that, anything left to add about the Rose Charities Tournament? No, I'm nope. good. That, that's it for now. All right. Well, I want to thank both of you for being on the podcast tonight and Rob in absentia, who for, uh, you know, being a great teammate and for passing along his thoughts. It's a shame he couldn't be here, but hopefully next time uh, we'll be able to get him on the show. Guys, uh, have a great night and uh, we'll see you out there pretty soon. Thank you, you guys too. Thanks again. Thanks for having Likewise. me on. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Great job. Last minute remaining in the podcast. Thank you, Pops. Pops was not at the Rose Charities Tournament in body, but I'm sure he was there in spirit because his son was playing and, and you know, proud parents and all that. So thank you, Pops, for being the voice of the podcast and for, you know, all the support that you've offered us over the years. Thank you to Anthony Sajazi for contributing music to this podcast. Thank you to the LIQ for sound effects. Thank you, of course, to John and to Chris for being part of the podcast tonight and, and sharing their insights and giving you the whole picture of uh, how Saturday went down. We appreciate your thoughts, gentlemen. And thank you to you, of course, always for listening to this podcast. Without you, we would be nothing. So uh, if you would like to continue to listen to this podcast and you're not already subscribed, please do so at Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or the Podbean app or any number of other places where fine podcasts are distributed. Another place that you can find this podcast distributed is YouTube. If you are so inclined, we have our YouTube channel. We post all the podcasts on there as well as the occasional video of uh, exclusive YouTube content, usually how-to stuff. Sometimes we have a uh, play-by-play of games that we have been able to call up there. There's all kinds of great stuff on that YouTube channel. You should check that out. And please, if you are checking it out, subscribe. I don't want to uh, go out on a limb too much here, but I dare say you probably have a bunch of subscriptions already on your YouTube account. And, you know, one more probably won't mean that much to you, but it would mean the world to us. So if you would consent to do so, please, please, please consider subscribing to us there and subscribing to our podcast generally. So uh, if you'd like to talk to us, if you'd like to tell me, how dare I presume to talk about how important your subscriptions are or aren't, you can do so at hitthedeck at gmail.com. You can email us there, or you can tweet at us at hitthedeckpod, or if you check out our Instagram, which is at hitthedeck, you can see some pictures that we took recently in preparation for and at the Rose Charities Tournament. And uh, you can check out my new pads. <laughs> you can check out the tape job that I did on my new pads, which uh, I mentioned last week. And they're beautiful. That's all I will say. I got many compliments. And I'm not fishing for compliments here, but I think you'll enjoy them. So uh, all that being said, James, is there anything that you would care to add? Just thanks for listening, folks. 
Yes, thank you. Thank you, James. Thank you for speaking. And so that being said, as ever, I will end with this sentiment. Whether you are playing in a competitive tournament or just going out and shooting around, whether you are breaking up set plays or whether you are scoring all the goals, regardless of what you find yourself doing, I would urge you always to remember it's deck hockey. Don't be that guy. Thanks, everybody. We sure got out of there in a hurry. Podcast is over. Don't let the door hit you on the way out.